Welcome back, everyone. This is Ann Miller and Chris Coop for another uh, extension of our interview with Bill Sosinski and Richard. We were going to talk about fracking. So let's just jump right in. Okay. Well, this is where, uh, you know, I'm sure some of your viewers are going to look upon me as some kind of, uh, what the heck? I can't believe that. Well, I believe fracking is a good thing, and I think it's a very green thing, and that we should be embracing fracking in every way, shape, or form. Nearly all of the studies that are coming out now are showing the whole benefits of fracking. Let me give, go through them, and then we'll talk about some of the specific negatives that people throw out about fracking and address those. The big okay. positives are that fracking has helped generate a lot more oil in the world as well as a lot more natural gas. And that has led to the fact that we now realize that the earth resources in those two items will not be depleted. So it has put a cap on what is going to happen to the price of oil, and it has put a cap on what it's going to cost third world countries to develop, and it's put a cap on what it costs the poor person to ride his car and to go to work and to buy his food and to pay for transport. The other thing it's done is its main thing in the United States has been to displace coal. And when methane displaces coal, it is a huge turnaround in the CO2 numbers. Methane and fracking has backed off more CO2 than any other thing that has been done in the past 10 years. Right there is the giant controversy. Fracking has saved more, done more for climate change than anything in the last 10 years. Okay? Because of its impact and on burning coal. Because of its impact on burning coal, because of its move, people moving away from burning diesel fuel to burning methane. Okay, okay. so the, the, the thing. Now, now, so, so now let's go over to, to uh, some of the, the negative aspects of it. By the way, the other piece that I could throw in, though it doesn't have to do really with energy, is fracking is probably responsible for about 80% to 90% of all the jobs created in the United States. So you may lose something, but you gain something. And the, what I mean by that is sometimes you, you hire a, a driller, but it also he, he has five other jobs that, are, that he becomes responsible for. So he makes the local economy better, so the grocer, the grocer needs to hire somebody and so forth right down the line. So fracking is responsible, and the growth in fracking and uh, the employment in fracking has been responsible for about 80% to 90% of all the employment gains in the United States. Um, now, let's go to the negative portions. There's two huge negative, well, there's actually three, and the third one I don't know enough about, but I'll still mention it. The first one is that we poison the water. Okay? And the poisoning of this water is supposedly due to two things. The first one is the fracking chemicals that we throw down, these horrible chemicals. They mix up in our water table, and bingo, the next thing you know, you're drinking this disgusting mess. Well, um, the problem is not that when you go down the hole, you have the problem. It's when you drill these holes. Now, what you do with fracking is you drill a hole in the ground, and this hole goes down about 8,000 feet or more. Now, what that means is um, you're way past the water table 
than anybody uses. Okay, you're so far past that water table that uh, it's incredible. I mean, and then we tend to, we now do horizontal drilling. So when we get down there, we bend and we find this shale line, and then we drill into the shale line. So we're talking about something that's 8,000 feet below the water level. But we have to, we have to, and we use a water sand mix when we frack. So we drill first with a fluid, and that fluid is usually can be water-based. And to give you an idea, my company works on completely environmentally benign drilling fluids. Our drilling fluid has nothing in it that can't pass uh, conventional shrimp tests and whatnot. We we just put a fluid out on a on a rig in the Gulf Coast that uh, is safe for mice and shrimp, safe for all kinds of things. There's nothing in it. I mean, not quite edible, but it's definitely safe. And um, the same thing, we have ground materials we use. And some of our products are based on uh, food chemicals that are that are used every day by people. So, But now we take this material out of the ground. We drill, and we're obviously drilling out dirt, comes up to the surface, and we plop it down on the ground. And what often happens is what we pull out of the ground can have crud in it. And so a lot of the garbage that comes up from the wells is a lot worse than what went down the well. In some areas of the country, you pull up a lot of barium, which could have some radium in it. Now, radium is radioactive, you might know. Radium is a bad thing. Uh, You can pull up other kinds of materials like that. And they end up in this storage area, storage pond thing that that you, you would talk about. And if that is not done correctly, that material can leach into the water table. That is what causes the poisoning of the water if that is done improperly. Every time the EPA has done a study on whether the actual drilling and the completion of a well causes the water table to be poisoned has been shown to be negative. So the actual fracking didn't cause the problem. It is what the, how people dispose of the liquid that comes up and if they don't do it properly. Now, companies have totally changed what they're doing. So when they first came up, like I said, they were putting them in ponds. Now what happens is that that material, when it comes up, is treated. The, 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 the solids are sifted off. The liquid is gathered back up. And most of the time, it's shot right back down into the well again. And people will say, well, you know, now you're putting a dangerous chemical down there. No, we're not. We're putting what came out of the hole back down in the hole. And in general, the the materials that we're putting down the hole are often been cleaned up so that they're cleaner going down the hole and they came up the hole. My company has all kinds of things on water chemistry and water cleanup and stuff like this. And most of the EPA reports and within the last few years, and, and again, I'll direct any of your listeners and, and you guys to look at what the EPA has said, what the local EPAs have said, even what the Environmental Defense Fund has said about water table poisoning by fracking, both going in and now coming out is that it is not causing the pollution, that more pollution is caused by existing uh, garbage piles, uh, by automobiles that are driving around, putting out garbage, and all kinds of things like that, much more than fracking. So that's the water part. 
The next poll, and well, then, and then people talk about gas getting into the water. In a lot of cases, those people already had gas getting into the water. Um, I had friends in Ohio, or have friends in Ohio, that have a water well that gas comes out of. There's no fracking. There's never been fracking there. They've always had gas coming out. There's gases bubbling out of streams in some areas. These are gas formations that are coming up from the ground and bubbling through the water. So... Uh, Gas and water don't mix. Natural gas and water don't mix. Uh, and that's why you can light it, because the, you get the water separated from the gas, and so you catch that little burst of whenever the gas is coming out. This could be easily controlled on somebody's house if they have that kind of problem. In general, people don't have that kind of problem. And when I say in general, I mean in 99.9% .9 of the cases. There is a always... There's always going to be, uh, you know, the bell-shaped curve of who does things like an F and who does things like an A, and it's one of those effing guys that uh, messed up and got gas in somebody's water table. So, so is, um, is what you're saying, Richard, is what you're saying like these, these gas emissions happen very much like a natural spring would happen? It's a natural yes. gas. Okay. Well, yeah. There's natural bodies of there's natural there's natural explosions that happen where gas comes up. There's been some uh, there was a whole village in I can't remember the now the name of the town I think it was in Mexico somewhere that died because they lived around this lake and this huge bubble came up and it was natural gas and CO two and it killed everybody during the sl their sleep wow. at night. Wow, that's hasn't it? It's it, it happened before with oil. I, I, I oh, can yes, remember happened. seeing oil bubbling up in, where is it, Titusville in Pennsylvania? Right, right. And, and oil exactly. city and places like that? Right, exactly. And so this is, this is in some cases, it's just the gas bubbling up. So mm -hmm. gas leakage from the wells is another one that people bring up. You know, oh, there's a lot of leakage from the well. Well, it just was a study. It came out this week, so you guys are lucky, that was done by a combination of the University of Texas and the, the Environmental Defense Fund. And a lot of EPA groups were involved with this thing. Uh, EPA, when I say EPA, I should say environmental groups from around the country. And they showed that less than 0.38% of the gas is lost from the wells. Much mm -hmm. smaller, much, much smaller than anybody saw, well below anything that anybody predicted, well within the safety reaches of anybody who could throw numbers out there, and meaning that it's way safer than a coal-fired plant in terms of methane emissions. And you know what? I think that it's safer than any kind of facility that's out there right now. And so I am a strong believer in fracking and that this country, by becoming oil independent, has helped the whole world. And we've helped the whole world because of the other things that I said. These are the ways to keep down poverty, is, is if we keep the price of oil down and we keep the price of energy relatively inexpensive and, and continue to make it cleaner. I don't think natural gas is the end-all and be-all, but I really believe it is the key component. Even what about the earth, earthquakes, though, Rick? Okay, that's the third one. That's the third one. Oh, but I'm I sorry, say, I jumped in. That's the third one. Remember I said the third one I'm, I'm quote, less... Let's, let's, let's say, an expert on and whatnot. 
I've seen papers written in both directions that fracking causes earthquakes because you end up um, going down and you disturb fault lines because you're pushing down. You, you know, when you frack, you, you, you drive this line down and then you have little explosions down into the earth. You literally blow and you make a crack and you drive sand into the, into the crack and then you suck the oil out. The oil basically drains out. And so um, does that cause earthquakes? I have seen, I promise you, reports in both directions. I've seen um, guys in the geological survey come and say, no way, there's not a chance that, that these are so minor and whatnot, it couldn't cause anything. To other ones that say that, that like some of these earthquakes that happened in Oklahoma that say, oh, this had to have had to happen uh, because of, of fracking. Um, so I'm on the line. I don't have enough information, and my, my own feeling is I haven't. Um, I, I, it's a combination of a combination of not knowing enough, and I don't think there's been enough studies out there to show one way or another it's a problem. There's one study that showed in areas where earthquakes usually don't happen, there's never been an earthquake. And of course, that was that. Does that mean we only could drill where there are no earthquakes, <laughs> or only frack there? Uh, so I don't know of reports of earthquakes, for example, in North Dakota, but I know of important earthquakes that happened in, for example, Oklahoma, and in the Missouri area. And that you know, but there's a big fault line there that people usually don't know about. Yep. Yeah, yes, there there's is. a big fault line in Missouri. That's true. Right. So, so you know, again, I, so I, I'll plead ignorant there, and, and say that that if it's shown that that that's a really horrible thing, I still think there's there's ways around it. Fracking is going to start being done all over the world. England is considering doing fracking, and whatnot. I, I think. Uh, I, I think eventually when, when people see the, the benefits of having uh, the, uh, this low-cost energy, uh, it will be a big thing. And, I, again, this doesn't mean that it's going to stop solar. I see this as being a good thing for solar in some ways. And people have asked me, oh, that seems crazy. Well, if you look, most solar thermal plants have failed, large-scale plants. Most solar mm -hmm. PV plants have failed. In most Why cases, is that? I'm going to interrupt, well, Richard. Why is that? It's Why because it's too they're too big. They can't yeah. meet their. They can't meet the amount that they need to throw out. So guess yeah. what? If you built a smaller plant and you combined it with a gas-fired plant, so solar does seventy percent and the gas does thirty percent. Guess what? The plant will work all the time, and right. it'll probably meet its economic goals. And 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 they're finding this out. There's a there's a plant in um, the latest uh, big solar plant out in California um, that went up, and it, it that's exactly what they found out. They found out that if they bring the gas up to about thirty percent, and or they'd already had a gas backup, it was really just to start the thing up. But they took that system and expanded it. When they expanded it, all of a sudden the plant became much more viable. So, you know, you know, why is that a bad thing to do? You know, and, and again, like I say, 100% of something is not necessarily the best answer. 
You know, because right. something is good for you doesn't mean just going to 100% of it is the only way. We may have to blend uh, issues together. We may have to use fuels together. And to mm-hmm. me, that's the smart way to go. Mm-hmm. So does that mean we can get rid of ethanol in fuel? Oh, I think ethanol and biodiesel are horrible. <laughs> yeah, no okay. kidding. Okay, I think they're horrible. They, they, they are... They are instruments of politics. They are not instruments of energy. So they are, they, 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 people forget why we started down the ethanol road. Um, and you may notice or you may not, but we started down the ethanol road as a something, a material that we were supposed to come up with something better than making ethanol from food. Okay, I mean, you you could probably even remember uh, uh, guys like George Bush reemphasizing that, saying, "Oh, yeah, we're going to use switchgrass," you know. <laughs> and you know what what ended up happening? Well, we never built those switchgrass plants; they never worked. Okay, hmm. and so biomass to me has been a massive failure, and I think we should stay the hell away from it. I don't think biomass is a good answer to the to to the future all right there are certain things we can do with biomass that i think are very good but in terms of taking biomass and necessarily converting it into a gasoline or diesel fuel i don't think that's a good idea space to raise it uh, specifically anyway right yeah well there's good space Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to kind of change. I'm going to kind of go a different direction, just for a second, with all of you gentlemen. Let's put our heads together. If the Renaissance was the like the 14 to the 1600s, then you had the Reformation, and then you had the Age of Enlightenment, the century. What was that called? The you know the industrial. Well, we have the industrial. Age. Well, it was 19th, wasn't it? Industrial age was the 19th century, or no? Well, I'm trying to figure out, what are we going to call the 18. next ones? What are we going to call it? Like, you mean the 21st century? Yeah. Uh, if we don't get things right within the next 15 years, it's going to be <laughs> the, uh, the most I, – I think this is the most important 20- to 30-year period in human history that's coming up, which I think is great because it's exciting. But if we don't get it right, it's not going to be so exciting past that point. Okay, uh, let's talk about that. I mean – there's enormous potential on this planet for us to, I mean, we, our future can be just like Star Trek. It should be, right? We grew up right. with that. Everybody gets along. I mean, I'm not into everybody wearing the same jumpsuit or the same outfit. <laughs> but aside from that, everybody's treated well. Everybody gets is educated, and everyone has opportunity. Hey, uh, the way we're structured right now, future's we, not we looking too good. We all jeans <laughs> in the 70s. We, we were saying? all in uniforms in the. We were all uniform. Had uniforms in the seventies. We wore jeans. Well, maybe in the United shirts. States, and maybe in, in, in Britain and uh, in Europe, but in the rest of the world, they weren't wearing jeans yet. The point. The point well, is, true. though, we have a, a very brief period of time, I think, in order to get people on the same page and working together to try to solve some very large problems. Uh, economically, we're we're suffering right now as a planet. We're suffering. You know, I, I guess the cost of oil. And if fossil fuels coming down is, is good in the short run, certainly because it, it benefits uh, economic development. But we're still over-consuming, and right. we're consuming in a way where we're not managing our resources properly, particularly right. resources as they pertain to food and water. Energy, I think we're going to solve. I, I think that the technology is out there with brilliant people like Rich Sapienza 
and some of the other folks that we work with. I think the, the, we're going to get, we'll get energy uh, under control soon enough. But the issues that we're having with maintaining our food supply and maintaining our fresh water supply are really mm -hmm. catastrophic at this point. Um, they're mm -hmm. expecting that by 2025, 65% of the world's population is going to have either inadequate water supplies or will be on water supplies that are uh, too polluted to be healthfully consumed. And then mm -hmm. when you start looking at what's happening to our food supply and the fact that, you know, we've got collapsing stocks around the world or emptying out our oceans, I don't even want to go into it because I think everybody can just go online and for two or three weeks and they'll see 23 stories and you get the point. But unless we really reorganize the way we raise food on our planet, particularly as the environment starts to change, and, and adjust in ways where the water's falling at different places. Seasons are lasting a little bit longer. Some places are drier. Some places are a lot wetter. Uh, you have to adjust your agriculture to do with that. And each year we take more and more of our land away from agriculture to use for other purposes, and we have more and more mouths to feed. And we keep asking more and more of our farmers in terms of production to supply the needs of our population. And I think one of the more dangerous aspects that people are completely unaware of is the fact that we're going to be running out of fertilizer soon, and 90% of global agriculture is based off of or requires fertilizer in order to create a crop. And we're running out so of really phosphorus. Really, the answer. Phosphorus is one of the. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I was. I was just thinking. One of the answers then goes right along with what Richard was talking about in the beginning of this whole conversation, which is taking it small. So food production right. has to happen. On an individual basis as well. Is that exactly small, right? On a smallest, on a smaller scale. Sometimes individual, but sometimes just, just we we have we 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 are developing methodologies that that will allow people to do things better. So, like mm -hmm. you wanted to know what what the the twentieth century. I don't think people give it a nickname or or a, a kind of a moniker. But I would call, I would have called the twentieth century the the century of change because mm -hmm. so much happened. I mean, for, if you look at the beginning of nineteen hundreds and where we started and where we ended in the year two thousand and how mm -hmm. much changed. It's, yeah. it's, you know, how do you put a handle on it? You know, the internet yeah. and all of these things happen. You know, so we, we, we took the 20th century and we started breaking it into decades rather uh -huh. than that. So now we're coming into the 21st century, and, and I'm hoping the 21st century is is smaller and more sustainable are, uh -huh. are become the key, the key issues for it. And... Um, uh, you know, and in a lot of ways, I agree with with um, Bill, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a lot more optimistic than Bill. <laughs> on, on, no, on I, 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 it's not that I'm optimistic, Rich. It's just that, well, I, I actually probably you're right. I think that's probably you're right. You are more you are more optimistic than I am. <laughs> I am more, I'm because I, more I optimistic. You know, because our issues our issues are really not food, water, energy, or waste. Our our, our issues are the are basically human beings. And yeah. we're asking our, our population to evolve very rapidly to a different understanding of how they relate to their, their resources. And we're asking people, I mean, I, think, I don't think there's a family out there. I know with my kids, I'm teaching them and they're learning farming. And I don't think there's a kid growing up now who should not have a background in how to grow their own food and how to manage at least a portion of their own food supply where they live. Now, this is harder in an urban environment. But certainly if you live outside in an urban environment or if you have a rooftop, 
you should be thinking about raising food, a little spot in your garden. This is something that every family should be doing. And to not do that is just at this point really ignorant because we're going to get to the point, you can see it happening in countries all around the world, outside of the richer countries, that you know, people are starting to have problems with food. And even in the United States, I mean, five years ago, uh, if you went to uh, First Harvest, uh, uh, Feeding America, mm-hmm. one in eight children in the United States at that point needed supplemental food from food banks in order to get through the day. Now it's one in five. That's in a period of five years. Wow. So the, the issues of people having inadequate supplies for food is becoming, you know, is becoming but, but common see, theme I, throughout I, countries I, around I, the world. But I think that inadequate supplies of food are often tied to inadequate uh, money. I think it's poverty. Like I said, to me, it's yep. ignorance and poverty that causes it. See, I don't think we should ever limit, limit growth because I feel you know, growth will provide the limits to the resources. We'll see what the limits are. As we grow, we'll see the limits. So if, if, I, if we look at something like a home, I think smaller homes built with good insulation, with inexpensive heating and cooling, with self-delivered electricity can be done today. There's no reason that a refrigerator, a stove, right. and lighting is not possible for every person in the world. Microwave ovens, LED lighting, you can hand crank to get low internet power computers now. So all of this should help the standard of the living for most of the world. And so it's back to, you know, if they have, if if they're not spending all their money on their housing and staying alive in terms of coal, hopefully they, they will have time and maybe feel better about growing things and about doing things. And, yeah, I'm not saying we don't need more farmers and a small farm isn't a good idea, but, but I really think that, that um, poverty is the issue. And like I said, again, imagine converting the grasslands of Africa to major farms and driving the price of wheat down for that area of the world. Um, you know, that's, that could be a massive change mm-hmm. that, that, that well, could happen. You know, but, Rich, the, the, issues, the issues end up being a lot more complex than that. You know, when you're talking about Africa, yeah, it's great with wheat, but because we, we've done such a job with limiting biodiversity, particularly in our grains, you know, they've got the wheat blight right now, wheat rust, which has destroyed mm-hmm. all the wheat crops from the, from the Congo throughout the entirety of Africa over the last, you know, the last decade or so. So, you know, they're, they're big issues. And, and Africa, water is a major, major issue and is continuing mm-hmm. to be a major issue, particularly in the sub-Sahara. And then you go into countries like Uganda and Nigeria and Ghana, and, and most of the streams, you know, particularly in anywhere in the developing world, are so polluted because they're used as sewers. So you have mm. people, you know, existing uh, on, on water supplies that are just not healthy to, to be right. drinking. And therefore you have, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what the exact but numbers I, think I know last see, year. Was to me that comes back. People who are dying from that, waterborne illnesses. But that comes down to, like, to me, that's an ignorance. That's an ignorance by the people who run the country. I mean, it, how do you slow, I mean, I, I could ask this about the United States, and it's a different question about the rest of the world. How do we slow right. down the public demand for immediate gratification? Yeah. How do we stop that? That's, that's, that's a good luck with that one. 
<laughs> yeah, good. Oh, that's right. So, so no, don't you answer that. And so why are we telling people in the rest of the world they shouldn't have that immediate gratification feeling too? Yeah. I mean, we got people waiting online for the next freaking iPhone to come out. And so, yeah. you know, Homer Simpson's, I want it now, you know, kind of stuff is, is driving companies to do this. When that stops, that will stop this, this, this horrible resource race that we have and this horrible uh, situation. That, See, that's well, the way we condition our population, and it's called capitalism and marketing. Huh? You know, we, we, we hypnotize people to want more and more and more, and we've convinced the rest of the world. We used to only do it in the United States and then in Europe, but now you yep. know, they feel that way in, in Russia and in China and in mm-hmm. India. And, you know, you're dealing with much larger populations consuming more and more basic resources. And that's a real issue. And you can tell people, yeah. oh, well, you can't, it's not a good idea, but no one listens to that. So you have to create mm-hmm. models of, of re-educating and reprogramming and reconditioning, you know, reaction. But pe- people have to know what the, the limits of their environment are. And right now, you know, many countries have surpassed those limits. And that's what's dangerous. You know, when they start looking overseas for the resources they can no longer raise at home, and you're seeing that from India and from, you know, China and from, you know, particularly in Asia where, where there's just, you know, 56% of the entire world's population is within a 3,000-mile radius of central China. You know, they wow. just don't have the resources anymore. And the oh, Chinese yeah, are leasing to... land all over Africa to bring back crops oh, that they can no longer raise at home. You know, it, it's, it's a, and they're doing it out of need. I mean, they're not bad. That's they have to feed their population. But that's the issue we're going to be running into. That's what the 21st century is going to be. We'll continue this fascinating interview with Bill Sosinski and Rich Sapienza next week on Growing Trends. In the meantime, I'm happy to tell you that you can find us on iTunes. We're called Growing Trends, of course. You can also continue finding us at www.growingtrends.org. This is Chris and Anne saying bye for now and do come back and listen to the next episode. It's even more interesting.